Again, you're here with us this morning, whether you're here in person in the gathering space or in the cafe or watching online. We're so glad each and every one of you is here with us today. And I just wanted to ask you, have you noticed, have you noticed how it's been turning dark earlier in the day? Have you noticed that night starts earlier, like 4.30 feels like 10 o'clock? How many of you guys have had that experience where you're like, man, what in the world is happening? Why does I, do I want to go to bed right now? I just was wrapping up work and all of a sudden it's so dark outside. What's going on here? And we know that is the time change, but when that's happening, it's a real clear sense that not only has the time change taken place, but also how it messes with us a little bit. It makes us a little bit more sleepy. It's a little bit more difficult to navigate at times, depending on where we're driving and where we're at. And you know, it's the same idea of when the power goes out in your house, right? Or you're up in the middle of the night and there's no light. It's difficult to make our way through the dark, right? They tell you to move slow. They say, move the Legos the night before just in case that happens, right? If you got kids, right? Because that's like a booby trap, you know? If you're driving in unfamiliar territory and it's darker, they say go slower as well. Use those high beam lights. All types of ways in which you can make your way through the darkness. But you know, in life as well, there are things that we experience where it's not just a physical sense of darkness, but there's this darkness that we even read about today in the Advent reading. There's this heaviness, there's this brokenness that we experience in our lives and things that we see around us that cause us to say, wow, where is the light? Because the darkness seems to be so great. And so as we start our time together, I want us to, to think about this in our own lives. Where do you see darkness? I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's an ongoing struggle with something. Maybe it's the fact that there's this ongoing issue that doesn't seem to go away, that you can't get victory over this particular area. It may be pornography, it may be alcohol abuse, it may be drug abuse, it may be spending money you do not have to spend, it may be judging people and looking down on people because it makes you feel superior. I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to take inventory. Where do you see darkness in distress? Because it's here, and it's heavy, and the darkness is overwhelming. And the next part of this is just to ask, how do we overcome? in the midst of darkness and distress. And as we're in this teaching series, Vintage Christmas, we're hearing from the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah is foretelling about this coming Jesus, this Jesus that we've been singing about, reading about, proclaiming over these last couple of weeks. But as we think about what it is that he is going to communicate, and we're going to hear him say today, it's very interesting that it happened 700 years prior to Christ's coming on the scene. And not only Christ coming on the scene, but it tells us so much about not only what he would do and what he fulfills, but also there's so much that was happening in Isaiah's life in that day and age. And so what I want to encourage you, if you want to do further study, I want to encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 6 through chapter 11, because I think it was going to help you even in these last two weeks of what we've talked about and discussed to further understand it. 
But I want you to hear what the prophet Isaiah had to say about darkness. It says this in Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. It says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon in the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And what the prophet Isaiah is proclaiming, he says there's going to be no more gloom for those who are in distress. And this is good news. This is good news that he's proclaiming. And he talks about how God's going to show up and, and this humble path and this way in which he's going to come to this humble place and, and going to show up and reveal his ways. And then he goes on to say that the people walking in darkness have seen this great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And this is beautiful to think about because it doesn't take much light to pierce back the darkness, right? It's just a little bit of light up here. And if we turned out all the lights in this space, you could still see the light flickering. And I, I love this picture because in the darkest moments of life, what it is that we're seeing and experiencing, when we look at the tornado that impacted the South and the Midwest and, and many lives have been lost, there's a dark moment and a distressing moment for them. And yet, in the midst of that darkness, we know that there's a light that is there and a light that's trying to even show himself strong and faithful in the midst of this horrific thing, this thing that, that's not good and this thing that is painful and this thing that is difficult. And I find it really interesting as you read through what the prophet Isaiah proclaims that Matthew records this. And if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to follow along here and Matthew 12 through 16. It says this. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. And I just want to stop there for a minute because I think sometimes when we get to the Christmas season or when we talk about Christ, we do not think right about Christ. And what do I mean by that? We forget that not only was he fully God, but he was fully human. So when he hears about his cousin John being put in prison, it says he withdraws. And what does that indicate? Well, it indicates that this impacted him. That there was this sadness that he was pulling away to talk with his heavenly father about someone that he loved and cared about, John. Because he knows what's coming for John. John is going to lose his life. And one of the things that can happen in the midst of Darkness and distress is we don't withdraw and talk with our Heavenly Father. And even one of the things that you'll see in the life of Jesus as he would do that, his disciples would see him doing that. So they're catching this vision for withdrawing and talking to our Heavenly Father. But often they would say, hey, Jesus, there's a crowd, there's people. Get back to the people, get back to the people. And Jesus would say, hey, I, I love the people. I love the people, I care about the people but I can only do what my heavenly father tells me to do. I can only say what my heavenly father tells me to say. There's this deep, intimate connection with his heavenly father. And again, Jesus shows us fully the way to be human. And if he withdraws in a moment of sadness, why wouldn't we withdraw and talk to our heavenly father and let others in 
to that process with us. Friends, this is one of the ways we step into the darkness in the distressing moments of life. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to fake it till we make it. We can be honest before a holy and righteous God who Jesus called our Father who art in heaven. He's our heavenly Father. And He comes near to us. Well, it continues on here, and it says this. It says, He withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet who? Who's the prophet? The prophet who? The prophet who? All right, I want you to get this, all right? This is fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah said. It said, land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And this is so beautiful to me because Jesus is the fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah was proclaiming about this coming king, this coming Messiah, this coming Savior. And Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who shines this light. It says, again, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And Jesus is called by John, the Apostle John, the light of life. That even the little bit of light that he'll bring, the darkness could not overcome it. So if he just brings a small part of, of a light, a little light, the darkness can't overcome it. But thankfully, he brings a lot of light, right? He brings a lot of light. And in the midst of him bringing this light, it says that those who are living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has done the shadow of death really speaks in a couple different ways. It speaks to the physical reality of life, that our time here on earth will come to an end, that there is a shadow of death that each and every one of us will experience. But John would tell Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, that anyone who puts his trust in me will not die, but will have life that will go on forever because I am the resurrection in the life. And he would ask the question, do you believe? Do you believe me? And it's a question you ask each and every one of us, do you believe that? But this also speaks to the shadow of death, of our spiritual condition before a holy and righteous God. That in the midst of who we are apart from Jesus, we are in desperate need of only what Jesus himself could give us. We need to have one that could save us and rescue us from our sin-stained life. We are what Paul calls spiritually dead. But through Jesus, we can have spiritual life. And good news is that as we put our trust and our faith in Christ, it allows us to experience the life that he has for us today as we wait for his coming fullness to be perfectly realized with his kingdom will come fully and completely. And yet we're the preview of that coming day. And so we get to, to join Jesus today. And for many of us, we haven't yet done that. We haven't put our faith in Jesus. And this shadow of death, I just want to make it clear here, the shadow of death speaks to not only what's going to happen physically to all of us, but also our spiritual condition. But for those who say, you know what? I don't want Jesus. And Jesus is this perfect gentleman. And he pursues, but he never forces himself on anybody. 
I was talking to a friend recently, and they were saying something like, we need to get people convicted. And I said, you know, it's not our job to convict people. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only Holy Spirit can, can draw people. And you know, he's speaking, but the question is, are we listening? Are we willing to put our trust in Jesus? Because if we're not, he gives us what we want. Often people say that God sends people to hell. But really, God doesn't send anybody to hell. Rather, people choose to live the life that they want apart from God, and then they will do that forever and ever and ever. But that's not what God wants for us, right? He came. He came for us to have a right standing with him so that the righteousness of Jesus would be ours. And so this is good news, friends. This is the peace that we read about, this peace that comes from who Christ is and what he has for us. And so as we think about that, a couple things I want to give to us. The light of Jesus is brighter than the darkness and the darkest of nights. The light of Jesus is brighter than the darkest of nights. And as we think about how dark it's gotten outside, and we think about putting those high beams on, depending on if there's not another car coming, right? You know, hopefully you don't do that when another car's coming, right? Don't be that guy, all right? There's always one guy on the highway that does something like that. You're like, for real? Take your high beams off. I can't see, right? But when no one is coming the other way, to use our high beams to see. In a lot of ways, when you look at the Jesus way, his light shines. And as his light shines, it allows us to see what it is that he has for us. Because again, Jesus is the light of life. He's the one that's brighter than the darkest of nights that we experience. The next part of this is that the light of Jesus shines through brighter than the shadow of death. And this is the good news for us who are hearing this and we're already followers of Christ and those who are not, that Jesus has made a way for us to have not only a right standing with God, but the hope and the assurance of living in light of a day when we will walk with Jesus perfectly and completely, when we will rule and reign with him, when we will not be separated by sin and death. And Jesus has made that available to us. So we have hope today and tomorrow, whether that's when we're talking about the shadow death physically or spiritually or for eternity after this life is over, that we can spend forever with him. We can, we can choose him. And when we choose him and we follow after him, we put our trust in Jesus, we get to hear at the end of the day, well done, good and faithful servant. Come in, come in. And this is good news for us. This is the peace that we read about and we have talked about. It's found in Jesus. Again, the light of Jesus shines through brighter than the shadow of death. And I think as we've lost loved ones, many of us need to be reminded of that. You know, I was recently able to get with the pastor who walked alongside us when my father-in-law in 2011 was, was losing his, his battle. He had stroke. He had a stroke that was all of a sudden, and as he was losing his life here on earth, this pastor would come alongside us. His name is Norm Walker, and my father-in-law was one of the elders at the church. And as I was getting with Pastor Norm this week, as he was in town, I was reminded of the gift of the comfort that's found in Christ, but also how people bear who this Jesus is to others. And I'll, I'll never forget him staying with us the whole time until my father-in-law passed away, but to offer hope 
even in the shadow of death. Because the light of Jesus shines through brighter than the shadow of death. And I want you to have this hope, this assurance, this peace that is found in Christ. Well, I want us to read back through Matthew's gospel. There's something that's added here at the end. And we're just going to read what we read before, but this last verse. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Let's read this last part together on three. One, two, three. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Let's do it again on three. One, two, three. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that. Say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And oftentimes the word repentance gets thrown around in churches. And I'm afraid that many of us don't know what it actually means. So we'll say, hey, let's talk repentance. Let's talk repentance. Like repentance. But oftentimes we don't even know what we're talking about. You know, where we use it, uh, it with what I, it's typically called Christian niece. You know, and I'll say something like, hey, repent, guys. And you're like, I have no clue what you just said. What, what does that even mean? But repent, the word means to change your mind and our direction. It's to look at Jesus and to behold him and to see him rightly and to see our condition apart from him and to say, I'm putting my faith and trust in what only you could provide for me. And that power that saves me is the same power that sanctifies me and changes me. And that repentance, as Martin Luther would say, is intended to be the way of life for a follower of Jesus. So it's not a one-time thing in the sense that I'm repenting. Now we do that to, to first enter into a relationship with God, but we're ongoing in our lives looking in the mirror of who Jesus is and who I am and where are there gaps between the character of Christ and the competencies of Christ. And we confess that freely because we never earned this to begin with. We did not achieve a relationship with God. It was provided for us. There literally was a stairway from heaven, and it came to us. Heaven came down and pursued each and every one of us. And so when we behold that grace, we can't help but confess when we're falling short. We can't help but receive and recognize what he's done for us and let it be known to others. When we fully, when we fully are standing before the compassionate gaze of Jesus, not the shaming version of Jesus, because that's not thinking rightly of Jesus. Not, not the fear-based version of Jesus, because that's not thinking rightly of Jesus. Not the prideful version that we put on ourselves talking to Jesus, like you don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. No, that's not what we're talking about. That's not thinking rightly of Jesus. Not the blaming, blaming ourselves or blaming somebody else, but rather thinking rightly of, hey, who has taken blame, shame, fear, and pride and put it on himself, you, Jesus. So I'm without need to justify myself because before you, I am justified because of what you have done 
before me. But he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And what's the kingdom of heaven? This is the message, by the way, that Jesus would go around preaching. If you're wondering how to summarize his message, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that means that the ways of God are being revealed through Jesus. That means when you look at the word, the kingdom of heaven, it's as if Jeff, Jeff Christopherson, who's a great theologian, missiologist would say, it's when God gets his way. This is when we are experiencing the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. When we're choosing to submerge our kingdom agenda, our way that we want to see things done, our opinions. And by the way, I think we have a lot of them, right? Right? We, we have a lot of opinions. We have a lot of preferences. But we're saying, Jesus, your kingdom, I'm putting all that under you. I'm saying, you have your way. This is about you, King Jesus. And not only that, but I'm going to join you in seeing myself before you flourish and helping others to flourish. Because I think when we are walking with Jesus and when we really trust who he is, we believe that he has our best interest at heart and mind. Even when it doesn't compute, even when it doesn't add up culturally, even when we're like, wait a minute, I don't know how to make sense of this. We believe that he wants us to flourish and he wants others to flourish as well because he's a designer of life and wisdom is fully found in Jesus. And when wisdom is lived out and we receive the wisdom that's found in Christ, then we know the way in which we're intended to live. Again, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Do you believe that? Do you believe the kingdom of, he of heaven is here now and yet not fully here at the same time? It's here and not yet fully. And we get to live in light of that. Oh man, this is good news. This gets me so excited when I think about it. So as we consider that, here's a couple things. Repenting allows us to receive access to the kingdom of heaven. Repenting allows us to receive access to the kingdom of heaven. And it's this repenting, seeing ourselves, who God is, seeing rightly, and then changing direction and putting our trust in him and joining in what he has for our lives and believing that he's at work, his activity is not only going on in us, but through us and around us. And we're looking to the one who pierces the darkest of nights. When distress comes, we're looking to him and what it is that he has for us and for all people. The next part of this is that repenting gives us the light of life that is greater than the darkest night. Repenting gives us the light of life that is greater than the darkest night. Now, as we think about the word repent, I want to really practically help us to think through what that looks like. Because I want us to be able to answer, how do we repent regularly? How do we regularly repent? How do we practice this way of life. Because often in the church, again, this word repentance is thrown around and we tell people, hey, you need to repent. So I'm gonna go through things even today that are gonna help us to, to really understand that. And here's a, a good indication, good indication that you need to repent. As you hear this, you think of somebody else, but not yourself. Okay? So whenever you hear it, and you're like, oh man, this is for this person. No, 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 no. Hey, before we go there, let's, let's hold up the mirror. Let's, let's look. 
And in this article that Tim Keller wrote called Repentance is a Way of Life, he talks about again who Jesus is, his kindness, his love, his truth, his holiness, but what he's accomplished for us. And he talked about how there were these church fathers who were influential like John Wesley and George Whitfield, and, and they would often take inventory of their lives. They would say, we, at the end of the day, George Whitfield, as, as the days would go through, he would stop and take inventory. Hey, is there anything I thought, said, did that was out of alignment with God's kingdom agenda? I want to take inventory of that. And as he took inventory of that, he would go on to write this letter to his friend. And in this letter, this is what he says. He says to his friend, God give me a deep humility and a burning love, a well-guided zeal in a single eye. Then let men and devils do their worst. And what Tim Keller does is he takes these four concepts here, this humility, a burning love, a well-guided zeal in a single eye, and helps us to evaluate and contrast and, and compare where we may need to repent. So what I want to do, I want you to be patient with me, but I want to read these four areas to us. All right, they're going to be on the screen. Here's the first area. Deep humility versus pride. And, and here's, here's the question. Have I looked down on anyone? Have I been too stung by criticism? Have I felt snubbed and ignored? Okay, have you ever felt these ways? These are the questions to take inventory. Repent like this. Consider the free grace of Jesus until I sense a decreasing disdain since I am a sinner too. Decreasing pain over criticism since I should not value human approval over God's love. In light of his grace, I can let go of the need to keep up a good image. It is too great of a burden and now unnecessary. Consider free grace until I experience grateful restful joy. So this is the first one. Here's the second one. Burning love versus indifference. Burning love versus indifference. Have I spoken or thought unkindly of anyone? Am I justifying myself by caricaturing in my mind someone else, which simply means to make a narrative based about them? It may not be true. It may not be factual, but based off my own view of circumstances and experiences, this is how I see them, okay? That's what that means. Have I been impatient and irritable? Have I been self-absorbed and indifferent and inattentive to people? Repent like this. Consider the free grace of Jesus until there is no coldness or unkindness. Think of the sacrificial love of Christ for you. No impatience. Think of his patience with you, and no indifference. Consider free grace until I show, show warmth and affection. God was infinitely patient and attentive to me out of grace. Next one. Wise courage versus anxiety. Have I avoided people or tasks that I know I should face? Have I been anxious and worried? Have I failed to be circumspect? Or have I been rash and impulsive? Repent like this. Consider the free grace of Jesus until there is no cowardly avoidance of hard things since Jesus faced evil for me. No anxious or rash behavior since Jesus' death proves God's care and will watch over me. 
It takes pride to be anxious. I am not wise enough to know how my life should go. Consider free, free grace until I experience calm, thoughtfulness, and strategic boldness. And here's the last one. Godly motivations, a single eye. Am I doing what I'm doing for God's glory and the good of others? Or am I being driven by fears? Need for approval, love of comfort and ease, need for control, hunger for acclaim and power, or the fear of man? Am I looking at anyone with envy? Am I giving into any of even the first motions of lust or gluttony? Am I spending my time on urgent things rather than important things because of these inordinate, inordinate desires? Repent like this. How does Jesus provide for me what I am looking for in these other things? Pray, oh Lord Jesus, make me happy enough in you to avoid sin and wise enough in you to avoid danger that I may always do right in your sight. In your name I pray. Amen. And I just find this so helpful for us to take stock and inventory of our lives. Because one of the things that the church has been conditioned to do, and, and this is what the culture has often critiqued it about, is we are so quick to point out to everybody else where they need to repent and very slow to look in the mirror to where I need to repent. But because of Jesus, our peace, we can come freely. Repentance is a gift. It's a gift that allows us to stay in alignment with God's design for our lives. So as we continue on here, in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Will you repent and receive it in him? Again, I want to just ask you to think through this because Jesus, Jesus has brought forth the kingdom of heaven. It has come near. It's been revealed. And the question is, will you repent? Will you repent and receive it in him? And again, the receiving is, yes, this one-time gift of having a right standing with God. We never earn a right standing with God. But in order to stay aligned to what he has for us, we constantly need to ask the question, where in my life do I need to repent? Where are the, there are these hidden motivations, these thoughts, these accusations I'm believing about myself and believing about others? Where is their pride? Where, where is their motivations that are not pure and holy and godly? Because again, we are to be kingdom citizens. We are to join the king who has come. We are part of his royal court, bringing forth not our agenda, but his agenda. Amen? It's about his agenda and what it is that he has for us. So as we think about that and consider it, I want you to take stock, even this week, to consider, where do you need to repent? And if you have yet to receive Christ, become a follower of him, I want to invite you today to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, right now, we, we love you. And we thank you for your great love for us that's fully and completely ours in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for all these carols we're singing. We thank you for all these promises of this coming king who has come and who will come again. Lord, I pray, Father, in the midst of our desire to see your justice here on the earth, I pray we would not 
bring about your justice in a way in which you did not bring about your justice. Help us to stay close to you, Jesus, in our lives. Help us to journey with you in such a way that we can think rightly of you and then rightly walk the path that you have for us to walk. Lord, I pray for any person here who has yet to put their faith in you. I pray the day would be the day of salvation. I pray today they would put their trust in you. Lord, I just pray a prayer that's so simple. And if you're here and you haven't done that, just simply saying, Jesus, today I acknowledge my need for a Savior and I'm putting my trust in you. What only you could do for me. It's never about a magical formula of words. It's always about faith. And Jesus said he's looking for childlike faith. And so I pray that for those who have yet to receive, today would be the day of salvation for them. And then for us who claim your name. Lord, I am convinced more than ever, we need to be a people who practice repentance as a way of life. Lord, there is a lot of pride, self-righteousness, a lot of fear, a lot of ideologies that we are claiming are theology, but are not. So we cast them down in your name. We cast them down and we lift you up. You said that when people lift you up, when you're lifted up, people will be drawn to you. And so we want to cast down what is an idol, what is a false representation of you, what is not truly you, and we want to lift you up in all your glory, the one who's full of grace and truth. I pray we would stop making you in our own image, God, whether that's a culture image that we've come to bear or a Christian subculture, ways in which we've heard it from a podcast, a Bible teacher, whoever it is, but it doesn't fully represent you and your beauty. Jesus, forgive us and help us to draw close to your compassionate gaze upon our doubts and our desires, upon our brokenness and our blessings. We do it because of what you've done for us. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.